welcome to New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make you three dwellings here one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, I am Pastor Ben, and it is my privilege this morning to share God's word with you. And you might not know this about me, but when I went to college to get my undergrad, I had the opportunity to play college baseball. And that was a a great time in my life. Some of my favorite memories happened during that season. But we tend to think of baseball as a wonderful summer warm sport, don't we? Most of us think of Major League Baseball, right? Major League Baseball starts at the end of March, beginning of April, still pretty warm, right, into spring. But NCAA baseball, college baseball, actually starts, the first game start in the middle of February, which in some areas of the world can be very cold still. Now, when I was a teenager and I was picking a school to play at and go to school at, I obviously wasn't that smart because I chose a school in Minnesota, Minnesota in mid-February is beyond cold, like zero degree temperatures and a lot of snow, which means playing baseball in Minnesota in February was nearly an impossibility. So we either had to do two things. We had to either find an indoor stadium to play in, which is obviously pretty rare to play baseball indoors, or we had to travel south. And so most of the time we found ourselves traveling south. We'd go to Florida and we'd spend a lot of time there playing some teams out of Florida or playing some other northern schools who traveled down there so we could get in some games. Well, one day, my, my freshman year, our game got rained out and my coach came in and said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go to an indoor hitting facility so you guys can get some reps in and get ready for the game tomorrow if we get to play. And so we got on the bus and we went there. And I remember this moment because it was a a very special moment in my life. I was taking swings in the cage, hitting, hitting, hitting. And this strange guy came over who I'd never seen before. He was a stranger to me. He didn't look particularly special or athletic. And he started giving me advice as I was hitting. Now, I got to be honest, I did not receive this advice well, right? 
I, I didn't know who this guy was. And so for him to offer me unsolicited advice, I was just thinking, who are you? Now, I didn't say it. I just thought it. And I also thought, do you know who I am? I mean, I was a freshman after all. It was kind of a big deal. I was starting on the varsity and I was batting fourth and playing center field. And I thought, who is this guy to tell me how to hit a baseball? So he went away, right? He gave me his advice and he walked around the facility. And all of a sudden there was this buzz, right? People were talking. And someone came up to me and said, do you know who was talking to you? I said, I have no idea who is talking to me, this old guy offering me advice. And they said, that's the hitting coach of Alex Rodriguez. Now, if you're a baseball fan, you know who that is. If you're a pop culture fan, that's Jennifer Lopez's husband. Okay, so now you guys are tracking. Ladies, you're all with me now. If you still don't understand either of those references, he is one of the greatest baseball players ever to pick up a baseball bat, a Hall of Fame, once-in-a-lifetime type player. And the guy who was speaking to me was the guy who taught him how to hit and helped him refine his swing when he wasn't hitting so well. This guy was a big, big, big deal. So you better believe when he showed back up to my cage and he offered me more advice, I listened to every word that he said. I hung on every word once I realized who he was. Well, today we're going to finish up our sermon series called Unfiltered Jesus. And we have been on quite a journey together. We've gone through six different stories in the life of Christ, six different pieces of history that challenge how we see ourselves, how we see Jesus, and how we understand our faith. When we look at the the real stories and the real conversations and the real actions that Christ took while he was on the face of the earth. Now, if you're walking in today for the first time and you don't have any of that backstory, right, you haven't been here for any sermons, you can go to our website and you can watch or you can listen and get all caught up. But let me give you a little quick recap because we've been on quite a journey together. It starts off with Christ's baptism. So Christ goes to where John the Baptist is doing his ministry and all these broken and dirty and sinful people, they're there and they're going into the water of the Jordan River and they're getting baptized by John. Well, Jesus shows up, the perfect one shows up, and he gets down into the dirty water with the sinful people, and he asks John to baptize him. And this seems so strange because he doesn't have a need to be baptized. Even John refuses this, but Jesus convinces him that he needs to be baptized, and so John baptizes him. And in that moment, Christ associates with all the broken and sinful people like us. Soon after, we found Jesus in the temple, We find him doing something very interesting. He's weaving together a cord. He's making a whip. And then he drives these people out of the temple. It seems like he almost has anger management issues, right? And it kind of throws us off of how we see Jesus and how we see Christianity. Well, the following week, we talked about how there was big crowds gathering now. Because Christ's popularity and his mission was growing and growing and growing. And more people needed him day by day by day by day. But he does something interesting. In the midst of their need, he walks away. It almost comes across as apathy. He takes this little mini vacation in the midst of everyone wanting a piece of Jesus and needing a piece of Jesus. Well, the week after that, we saw something else that was pretty challenging to us. We see the religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees, bring something up to Jesus saying, hey, you broke a rule, you broke a law. And Jesus doesn't seem to care what the Pharisees have to say. 
kind of throws us because we're taught to respect our leaders. And, and what is he doing? And then the next week they brought him again a law and put it in front of his face. And the law was very clear. God had told them that if you get caught in adultery, the punishment is death. But despite that, Christ takes this woman who's caught in adultery and he calls out her sin, but he doesn't kill her. In fact, he just points her in a different direction. You see, there's so much confusion in the story of Christ for us because it doesn't always match our narrative of how we see ourselves or how we see our faith or how we think our faith is supposed to be played out. Imagine how the disciples felt. They were walking through these moments with Christ thinking, I can't believe he's acting this way. What should we do? Should we walk away? Should we listen? Should we do the same? You see, they didn't know what to do and they felt that tension as well. That was until they understood exactly who Christ was and who exactly Christ is. And so today we're going to dive into the book of Matthew and we're going to see this moment when these disciples realized who exactly Jesus is. So Matthew begins by saying, six days later. So as he starts his biography of Christ, this piece of history recorded for us today, he starts out by saying this statement, which infers that something has happened before this that's connecting to something that's happening right now. And that's exactly what's happening. You see, six days before this, Christ asked the disciples this very significant question, a question that he asked all people of all times, who do you say that I am? Who am I? Am I a good teacher? Am I a guru? Am I, am I a lunatic? Who am I to you? And he asks us all this question. And when he asks the disciples this question, Peter pipes up. He's the bold one of the disciples. He says, you are the Messiah. You are the son of God. This is an amazing statement of faith. To say that he was the son of God means that he was on equal footing, that he was God. And Peter says this. So six days from this statement of faith, Christ is going to show them that Peter's statement is absolutely true. This is what happens. Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. So Jesus grabs Peter, the guy who had just made this profession of faith. He grabs James and his brother John and they go off on this special journey. Now, any time that Christ did this, they knew it was important and they knew something special was going to happen. Any time that he just took a segment of his disciples, a segment of his followers and took them on a journey, something amazing always happened. In fact, before this, James and John and Peter, they had gone on another special trip with Jesus and Christ had raised this girl who had died from the dead. Unbelievable. So when Christ asked them to go on this journey with him, they understand that something very, very special is about to happen. Well, this is what takes place. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. So once they got to the top of the mountain, Jesus changed. He was transformed. His face shone like the sun, this intense brightness, and his clothes even changed, became dazzling white. Can you imagine being in this moment? How crazy this moment was, how scary this moment was to watch your friend completely change in front of you. And if that wasn't enough, this also happens. Suddenly there appeared to them 
Moses and Elijah talking with him. So now they see their friend, Jesus, appearing like the sun, dazzling white clothes. And now these guys, these heroes of the faith show up, Elijah and Moses. These were Old Testament heroes. Moses was the lawgiver. Elijah was this amazing prophet. And when they saw them, this would have blown their mind. And the reason was, these guys have been gone for a long, long time. Moses has been dead for a long time. Elijah has been in heaven for a long time. And when these guys appear, that would be unbelievable. In fact, it kind of throws Peter off, right? In the midst of all this majesty and all this confusion, Peter does what a lot of us do. He just starts talking. You guys ever done this, right? Remember in high school when the cute girl finally talks to you and you don't know what to say? And so you just start rambling and you're like, oh, I'm so stupid. Why did I say that? Or when you meet someone famous and you don't know what to say and you just start talking aimlessly, that's what Peter is about to do. Look at these. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Oh, Peter. (laughs) Peter is so overcome by this amazing moment. These guys who are in heaven came back. Jesus was transformed. He doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know what to do. So he just starts rambling. He's nervous. There's silence. He's got to fill it. Jesus, let me do something for you. Let me build you a house. I'm going to build you a house right here. It'll be really convenient. You guys can come up here. You can take a little vacation. Uh, And not just one house for all three of you. I'm going to make a house for each and every one of you. One for you, Jesus. One for you, Moses. One for Elijah. You guys can just come up here. You can hang out. You can talk. It's going to be great. What? (laughs) Oh, I'm sure Peter was kicking himself after that statement. But one thing that Peter did that was maybe not just awkward, but unfortunate, is he took Moses and Elijah which are great heroes of the faith. And he unintentionally put them on the same level as Jesus. I'll build you a house, Moses. I'll build you a house, Elijah. I build you a house, Jesus. But God, the father, he was not going to let this sit. He shows up and this is what happens. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, this is my son, the beloved With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. So God shows up. And notice the commonality. When Jesus was transfigured, he was bright like the sun. When God shows up, he is bright. So bright, it overshadows them. You can feel the commonality that this is the same. There's God the Father and God the Son. These are on the same level. And if that wasn't clear... God the Father says, this is my son. I don't want you to miss this. This is my son. And I am well pleased with him. Which means everything that he has said and everything that he has done, I am pleased with. You know, all the stories that we've been going through, all the stories that cause tension in the disciples' life, that they're wondering, should he have made a whip? Should he have chased those people out? Should he have been baptized? Should he have done this? Should he have said that? God is saying, I am well pleased with every single thing that Jesus did because he and I, we are the same. So listen to him. Listen 
to his words. Well, this is the response. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. These three guys were terrified. They were full of fear. They were petrified. Now, why? I mean, they saw Jesus transform. That didn't do it. They saw these dead guys come back. That didn't do it. It wasn't even God showing up in a cloud. It's what he said. This is my son. We are the same. We are on equal footing. And when he said that, they understood what had been happening in their life. This meant that they had breakfast, lunch, and dinner with God. The person who was talking to them, the person they were having conversations with, was God. The person who heard all their jokes, for better or worse, was God. The person they shared their life with, who saw them do everything that they did, was God. And they were terrified. Because if God was walking with them every step of their journey and every step of their life, he had seen them do all the things that they had done for better, for worse. And they thought God was going to destroy them. So they fell on their face in fear. And this is what Christ does. But Jesus came and touched them saying, get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. You see, in this moment, we see this amazing act of love and this amazing act of grace. Jesus reaches down and says, get up. I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to do anything to you. In fact, get up because I have something for you to do. And then Matthew brings a story to a close. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So as they're going back to see the other disciples and their friends and their family to engage in, in normal life once again, Jesus says, don't tell anyone about this story. Now, why would he say this? Because he doesn't want them to look crazy. Because who's going to believe this story? The answer is no one. Right? If they went down there and said, you're not going to believe this, Jesus turned into something different. His face was shining like the sun. His clothes were dazzling white. Moses showed up. Elijah showed up. And then God showed up and he spoke with us. No one's going to believe their story. So Christ says, wait. Wait for something else to happen and then tell that story. You see, in this moment, this is what Christ does. He predicts his death and his resurrection. And when he pulled it off, it would change everything for these disciples. You see, in that moment, they would know exactly who he is. When he showed up again and they embraced, when he showed up again and they ate and drank together, when they had a conversation again, they realized who exactly they were talking to. And that's when their faith was solidified. And that's when our faith was born. Not because we read it somewhere, but because of this amazing moment when Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off. And guess what happens when you see that? You'll believe the other stories too. And so Matthew heard the story of Peter and James and John. And he took the time 
to write it down because once you see the resurrected Christ, Moses showing up and Elijah showing up and Jesus changing and God showing up doesn't even shock you anymore. See, once you understand who the unfiltered Jesus is, it changes everything. So here's the last thing that I want you guys to hold on to as you head into your week and as you head into your lives. One last statement on this sermon series. I want you to understand that following an unfiltered Jesus becomes easy when you focus on who he is. But this is where we run into trouble because we all have our personal accolades and success and sometimes that gets in the way, doesn't it? Now you might not say these things out loud, but you probably think them if you're honest or they're probably on your hearts. We say things like this or we think things like this. Jesus, don't tell me how to run my business. Do you know who I am? Do you know how much impact I have on the Sauk Valley, on Illinois, on the nation, globally? Do you know what my last name is? Jesus, do you know who I am? Jesus, don't tell me how to, how to live out my marriage. I've been married for 50 or 60 years. I mean, I have nothing more to learn. Who are you? Jesus, don't tell me how to use my money. Do you understand how many commas I have in my bank account? Jesus, don't tell me how to live. Do you understand how good I am on the court, the field, in the pool, in the classroom? Jesus, do you know who I am? Christ walks away and he comes back and you hear the buzz and you realize who he is. And he says it in this loving manner to you. Do you know who I am? See, Christ isn't just a guru or an advice giver or a guy who navigated life really well. He is God in the flesh, the creator of you and me, our skills, our talents, our ability to make money, to build a business. The designer and creator and idea of marriage came from him. This is who we're talking about. This is who we're talking to. And so when we read these stories, when we hear these words from Jesus, it becomes much easier to tolerate, much easier to internalize, much easier to live out when we understand who we are talking to, when we realize we're talking to the very real and very unfiltered Jesus.